Well, good morning, everyone. Well, this morning we are, uh, my name is Jim Breckby, I'm the Family Life Minister here, and uh, we're going to start this morning by looking at a video clip uh, that is from 1985. Many of you will recognize it. It was a video clip. It was a, it was a video that was made for famine relief. It features a lot of very famous entertainers, and I'm not showing it for the purpose of glorifying them. Sadly, some of them made a lot of money singing songs that go directly against what God calls us to do, but why I'm showing it is I want us to focus on their passion as they step up to the mic to sing about the mission, about how they were all singing together, and there was unity regarding the mission. And um, so we are now going to watch this. It is called We Are the World. Okay, so for those of you who were born, say, in the last 10 to 15 years, I'm really sorry that you missed the era of cool hair. I mean, um, yeah. I actually had hair like that. That's just crazy. As I prepared for this week, and I've thought about this video uh, over the years, I've always thought, man, it would have been so cool if the church would have wrote this song if a church was even to do this song. And um, if it would have been called, We Are the Church. And um, we would have talked about our mission, our mission that where we offer eternal life, where we talk about the forgiveness of sins and how God gives us wisdom to make it through this life and how he heals fractured souls. And so I have, I'm going to read to you the original lyrics, and then I'm going to take the liberty to rewrite them. And so uh, I'm not a songwriter. It's very amateuristic, but it's not the point. All right, so here we go. There comes a time when we heed a certain call, and this is the original, when the world must come together as one. There are, di- are people dying, and it's time to lend a hand to life, the greatest gift of all. We can't go on pretending day by day, that someone, somewhere, will soon make a change. We are all part of God's great big family, and the truth you know, love is all we need. 
the chorus. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true we'll make a better day, just you and me. Now, I rewrote these, and here's my version. There comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the church must come together as one. There are people dying without hope, friends, family, and folks we don't even know. And it's time to share the good news of Jesus, the greatest gift of all. We can't go on pretending day by day that someone somewhere else will soon share the story. We are all part of God's great big family. And the truth, you know, is that each of us in our own way plays a role in sharing the gospel. And the chorus, we are the church. We're all on a mission. We are the ones who can make a brighter day by loving others and possibly sharing the gospel. There's a choice we need to make. It's about telling how Jesus saves lives. It's true that we can help someone have an eternal better day, just you and me. So now, let's just assume for fun and giggles that we decided as a church that we were going to make this video. And um, so uh, I would just ask you this question, where do you see yourself participating in it? Would you be like, yeah, I know we're going to do it on that Sunday, but I'm just kind of busy or, you know, I'm not really in tune to, to, to you know, the mission as much. I just kind of like to be nice to people and show up or whatever. Where would you see yourself in the video? Now, some will have a hang-up. They're going to say, first of all, I can't sing, I don't have rhythm, and I don't like music. And so I'm going to wave a magic wand right now. We can all sing. We all love music. We all have rhythm. So that's, that's eliminated right here. How do you see yourself? And I would suggest that a lot of people, if they were to produce this video, would say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite as many people that might show up to get up on the risers, and we're going to put our senior minister right here because everybody needs to know who the senior minister in the church is so we can point people to him for problem solving and all that kind of stuff. Then we're going to put Cindy over here so that people know we have a strong children's ministry. And we're going to put John up here because worship is so critical so people will see him. We'll put the elders in. Maybe we'll have them wear red shirts or something so that they stick out and know who the leadership is. And we'll put everybody up there that shows up and we'll do it. Now, I'm going to speak on behalf of the staff and on the elders because I know their hearts. And looking at the early church, that's not how the video would look. We, we average about 525 to 550 here on a Sunday morning, but with people traveling and people maybe you're once a month or twice a month, that overall we, we have probably about 750 people that routinely pass through here in a given month. And what that video should look like, and when I say the video, I mean maybe the actual video, but the, the, the life of the church Day in, day, day out, 24-7, 365, the video of life, what it should look like is 750 people up on the risers. And the way I would see it, and I know that Steve would be up here, and he would be kind of stage. he'd be singing, but he would just be encouraging, come on, sing out, you guys can do this, sing about the mission. Then maybe we'd have all the kids over here, and Cindy would be down on her knees just, just pulling it out of them 
sing about the mission. John would be doing the same thing. Now, the elders, as the chief, chief shepherds of the church, they would be along the side of the risers because there'd be a lot of people up there, and, and their role is, you know, would be to protect the sheep. So their job is to keep you from falling off the ends, all right, and uh, encouraging you, come on, keep going, keep going. And see, why that is so important is that we have a mindset that the church is not the building, the church is not this one hour, but the church is its people being led by Jesus Christ to carry the Great Commission throughout the world. I would drill a little deeper and ask you, where do you see yourself stepping up to that mic and singing? There was, after you watch a video enough times, you start to see funny things. And, you know, Harry Belafonte with his velvet personality and everything. And all of a sudden, Bruce just jumps up there, and I think he almost scares him. You know, it's like, Wah! you know. And, and so do you see yourself stepping up there like Bruce? You know, you're like, I am the guy. You know, who's reaching out to the guy in the cubicle next to me. His wife's been sick, and I've been trying to support him in everything he does. You know, maybe you see that. You know, or maybe you're the, maybe you're the high school girl. <laughs> um, and you're like, I am the girl who's reaching out to the girl in math class. She's never very nice to me, and she gets much better grades than me, but I'm trying to show her the love of Jesus. Is that you? Or maybe... You're Bob Dylan. <laughs> Everybody can sing like Bob Dylan. Okay, particularly the guys. Okay, this is Bob Dylan. I am the guy who invites my neighbor over for barbecue. I am the guy who wants him to know I care. Okay, so that's all there is to that one. All right. But see, it's just so critical that we all see you guys are in the trenches. One of the things I miss most, I love being in the ministry, but one of the things I miss most about not being in the business world every day is I'm not out in the trenches. I live a sterile world now, um, and, and I have to make a conscious effort to get out and, and be out there because most of the time from 8 to 5, hanging out with the rest of the staff, they don't tell too many dirty jokes. They don't cuss too much. Um, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty sterile environment. But you guys are in the trenches. You're in your schools. You're in your clubs. You're in your PTOs. You're in the workplace. And you are the church. So if we're going to have this video, this video of life, and we recognize that we are the church, we have to be really in tune with the mission of the church. And we find that in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And this is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Now, a commission, by Webster's Dictionary, is an authorization or a command to perform a prescribed act. And so in this particular case, Jesus is giving this, and he said, okay, now I am authorizing, I'm commanding Christians to do this and act on my behalf. And so let's look at this verse. If you will pay special attention, the word, some words are bolded. You can't see it as clearly as I wish you could. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And what that is referring to is that we are 
going into our clubs. We are getting into our teams that we play on. We are going into the workplace. We are going throughout Fayette County. Fayette County, I used to live there. Franklin County, sorry. Subconscious popped out just now. All right, Franklin County, the state of Ohio, the United States. It's about going to Ethiopia and Japan, but right now the vast majority of us are dealing with this nation of Franklin County and where to go. And then we are to call people to a relationship where they understand who Jesus is and they, they come to the point where they believe that he is Jesus, that he is Jesus, God's son. And if they make that decision, then that they, they have a, they're, they're united with God through baptism and their sins are washed away and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and they begin their walk. And then we go about teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And see, this is really critical that we understand part of this, that, that we come to Jesus with a very, very um, baby faith. All we need to know is that we believe who he is and we want to make him Lord of our lives. So many people wait till they get their act together, and that's the exact backwards. We have to come to Jesus as we are and then let him start to work on us, to start to change us and start to grow. He just wants to take you wherever you're at. If you just think about it, the early church, first day, 3,000 people. They weren't able to run them through a bunch of classes and check out and see what they believed or taught. There were 11, there were 11 guys uh, that were very active at that time. And, and the thing is that they hadn't gone to Bible college, and nor were they ordained. And the church just turned the world upside down. Now, I would like you to read something with me here so that we just kind of all get this ingrained. Again, this is the mission of the church. Can we all say this together? Go, make, baptize, teach, repeat the process. All right, you guys did better than the first service, but you're twice as many people aren't here. Let's do this again. All right, go, make, baptize, teach, repeat the process. You see, every Christian has the responsibility to play a part in these things some way, shape, or form. Some people, not a whole lot, are naturally equipped to just go nose-to-nose, toe-to-toe about talking about the deep things of the faith. Many, though, are wired. You may not feel comfortable doing it, but you can actually um, you know, invite people to coffee or have them over to your dinner, and you just genuinely love on them. And over the span of time, they start to notice that you're different and that you really care about them. And you're just hoping and praying someday you will be able to share the gospel with them. We do this in other ways as we do things like go down to the homeless camp and share Jesus with the folks down there or as we bring them in like we did yesterday and people serve them yesterday. Or teaching kids about Jesus and everything he taught so that they will learn to obey him. That's all part of the Great Commission. Now, I want to drill down even more and introduce a term right now called the Matthew 28 family. We're starting a a series right now called the Framley Series. And it's a combination of both friendships and family. Because as a church family, we are all together here. We are both friends and we are family. It's the church family, if you want to call that. And some of the bonds within the people here are so strong, they're stronger than actual blood family. 
It's about us uh, having intentional, genuine relationships with both people in the church here, but also making a purposeful effort for those that are not here. And every time we talk about a family series, you know, you start to think about, the, the, I know that some of you come in here, you're by yourself. Maybe you have a fractured relationship with your family. You're miles away from your family, or maybe you're going through a lot of pain right now. But everything that we talk about, I can assure you, will be in general principles that apply to all people. Now, we may focus maybe on some of our illustrations a little bit more as far as going into the homes of maybe a single parent with children or, or uh, married parents with, with or without children, married people with or without children, but the principles will apply to everyone. So here's the, the thing about a Matthew 28 family. The Matthew 28 family has the mission of the church as its DNA. When at home, they discuss, pray over, and deal with opportunities and challenges with the idea that the mission Jesus gave us is first and foremost. This is what a Matthew 28 family might look like. They are intentional about praying for the relationships that they may come in contact with the next day. Maybe when we're putting our kids to bed at night, we just pray about someone that they want to reach out to at school or someone that is on their heart and the family prays about that. Maybe a mom or dad have something going on at work the next day and the family prays not only that they might have the opportunity to show love to this person, but at the same time, if maybe it's a, it's a testy situation, that it would be resolved in a God-honoring way that doesn't drive somebody away from Jesus if they know that their family member is a Christian. A Matthew 28 family is intentional about dealing with tough situations like the bullies at school. Instead of like rushing back to school and getting into the principal's face or the teachers or the parents or the kid and saying, hey, this isn't acceptable, the first thing that they do is they step back and say, we're going to lift this up in prayer. And we're going to start by praying for this child and their home situation. We're going to pray that whatever, however this is resolved, that it is again resolved in a God-honoring way, then if there is any possibility that God can use us in this manner to bring this child to the Lord, He will do so. It's about monitoring our Facebook posts from our family to see whether they, they drive people away or pull people to Jesus. It's viewing the neighbor kids as more than just little people who run around and put stuff all over your lawn that you have to pick up before you mow. It's, 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 it's looking at them and learning to know their names and to view them as people that you may someday influence their destiny for eternity. It's getting to know them. It's about going to basketball games and, and concerts and after they're over, instead of gravitating to church people or to your close family and friends that you look to hang out with other kids' parents and get to know them and establish genuine friendships with them. Now, here's a challenging thing that I would suggest um, one of the things that people will say about coming to church is that this church was either friendly or not friendly. This is just a universal thing. But one of the things that we've 
challenged even as staff now and, and leadership, but I would suggest you even do this in your, your family because as a family, you're, you're looking at this going, okay, I want this church to have an outreach, and I know part of it is just a, having a friendly church. And that is you get up in the morning and remind everybody, hey, by the way, when we get home after church today, uh, we're going to talk about who you met that you didn't know before you went to church. Now, you don't have to do it every Sunday, but maybe you do it at least once or twice a month. Even our life group did this. We all had to come back and say, okay, here's who I met this week. It was kind of cool because people started getting out of their comfort zone. I am by nature an introvert. This, this takes every bit of training for me to go introduce myself and to say hello and, and ask questions. But as introverts, from one introvert to another, we kind of got to get over that thing. And, and it's because we're about the mission of the church. Um, and, and one thing kind of encouraging, you say, well, what if I stick my foot in the, my, my mouth, you know, and I look stupid? You can't do it worse than a staff member because, see, you all know us, but we don't all know you. And so we've, I've, I've been guilty of walking up to somebody and say, hi, are you a visitor here? And they're like, I'm one of the founding members, you know, and it's like, yeah, I knew that. You know, so it's just like, it just goes with the territory you roll with it. Something about the friendliness of a church and having that mindset that we're all involved in this place being a friendly church. When, when I go away uh, on the weekend, uh, which we do get some Sundays off, and we're going, I'm, I'm kind of like off the clock, so I don't have any responsibilities like, say, at my son's church in Nashville. But there's one thing that doesn't stop. I feel like I'm to be, res- be friendly to people, and those people really shouldn't know that I don't go there. No, I'm not going, hey, go to room 112. They've got a great program. They may not even have a 112. But I can still be friendly. I can say welcome. Because when you go to another church for vacation, they don't, there's nothing there. Oh, yeah, you're from Columbus because we can tell by your ear and your hair. You know, that just, it doesn't show up. And so we have to keep that all the time that we're just in another branch office and be really aware of that. The Matthew 28 family is involved. They're, they're plugged in here at DCC. They're serving, and they're, they're in part of a life group. And Matthew 28 invites people to VBS and to camp and to church and to classes. So we know the mission. We know that it drills down to where we are very specifically supposed to be doing something about it ourselves. Within our homes, we should be very conscious of this. This should be part of our lingo. It should be part of our DNA. And now we get down to one of the biggest stumbling blocks, though. And I want you to just hear this statement. Our decisions, our choices, in how we use our time and our resources, reflect the priority we place on the mission Jesus gave us. Let me say that again. Our decisions, our choices, and how we use our time and our resources reflect the priority that we place on the mission that Jesus gave us. Arguably, the single biggest pushback Jesus gets about the Matthew 28 thing is busyness. One of the most common answers to, hey, are you in a life group, or can you serve in this capacity next month? is, ah, I'm just too busy. I, I want to share with you the story of the rich young ruler and how this applies in this case. 
A man came up to Jesus and he said, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? And, and Jesus responded back to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good, and that's God, of course. He said, If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And, and this guy says, You know, which ones? And he says, Well, you shouldn't murder anybody. You shouldn't commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should honor your mom and dad and love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy responds by saying, All these I have kept. And I'm sure Jesus might have been thinking, I should have thrown in lying because he missed that one. You know, he didn't get the picture. And he says, so what do I still lack, Jesus? And Jesus says, hey, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And with that, the young, rich young ruler walked away sad. And Jesus went on to explain that um, it's harder for a rich man to get through heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. The idea being that people become so dependent on their money that they can't trust Jesus. And he says, but through me, through, through Jesus, all things are possible. People can come to the Lord. We don't have to make sure we, care. we follow all these things to the T but we can get to the Lord through Jesus. Now, this parable is always, 99% of the time, it is taught because it's about money. That's what it's, it's usually a money sermon is around. But I think there's a bigger principle here that we have to look at. Some people are not in love with money. Some people may not have that much money to begin with, so they may just dismiss this. But I think the bigger issue is that Jesus is talking to him about something that is in the way of a personal relationship with him. And so if we haven't accepted Jesus, what is it that might cause us to walk away? But if we are a Christian, what is it that is getting in the way of us having a really deep personal relationship with him as well as a passion and a commitment to carrying out the Great Commission? So he may look at you and say, you know what, you've been a Christian for quite some time, but there's something in your life that I really, you need to reorder. I need to be the priority. The, the Matthew 28 thing I keep talking to you about, that's got to be a priority. So I have noticed that you are totally enamored by, say, for example, sports. And you look at Jesus and say, and that's a problem? You know, and he says, yeah, it kind of is. I want you to cut way back on it. I want you to prioritize the mission. He may look at you and say, you know what? You are so, you're a good parent, but you are all about giving all the things to your children that they want way past what they need, and you're running them here and there. And for the good of your own kids, they need to see that you are sold out to this mission. It will be a blessing to them. I want you to reorder, put me first, and your kids will follow second, and, it, and they will love you for doing that in the long run. It may be your job. Maybe you don't get paid that much, but you're just sold out. You'll do anything for your boss, anything for the cause of the business you're involved in or education, whatever it is, but it, it takes all your time. You don't seem to have any left for Jesus. And he might say, I want you to reorder these things so that I am first, my mission is first, and then let these other things flow in behind. And then the question becomes, will you walk away sad? Or will you say, you know what, Jesus, I need to reorder my life. Along these same lines, we have to ask 
tough, probing questions like, as a Christian, who have I played a part in bringing to the Lord? Who am I deepening their walk with the Lord? There are people that have been Christians for years and years and years, yet they can, it'd be hard-pressed for them to say, here's the person that I influenced to come to the Lord. And I'm not talking about our children. I'm talking about somebody outside of our children if we have some. Who's on your prayer list where you're lifting them up daily to say, hey, Lord, I I want you, I love these people, these are my friends, I want some way, shape, or form for them to come know about the forgiveness that you offer and the wisdom that they can have from Sunday through Saturday to get through this tough life and the eternity they can spend with the Lord. Use me in any way, shape, or form, somehow, some way. Maybe you're so distant from them anymore. Will you just pray, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you will put somebody in their path so that we'll both be there on the other side. So what I want us to walk away with this morning before we bring our friends up here is that just these few things. We are the church, all of us here. And the church isn't the worship hour or the building, but it's about the people led by Jesus carrying out the Great Commission. Every Christian has the responsibility and a role in going, making, baptizing, teaching, repeating the cycle. Every Christian. We need to be intentional both as Matthew 28 individuals and as Matthew 28 families. We have, to, we have to make it happen. We can't just let it to chance. And lastly, our decisions and our choices involving our time and our resources reflect the priority that we place on this mission that Jesus has given us. And so what I'm going to do right now is invite two of my friends up here. Many of you know them. They're just great people. They're just going to tell you they're the average Chad and Tracy. And um, I I just want them to share from their heart with you right now. Um, Chad's a third-grade Sunday school teacher, so a lot of your uh, kids have had Chad in class, and Tracy's been a a sub, and they're going to tell you a little bit about the things that they're involved in here. And uh, we'll just kind of talk about decisions and priorities. So welcome, guys. Let's give them a warm welcome, guys. So um, tell me a little bit about what you guys are involved here at DCC. Okay. We attend first hour every Sunday to worship. Um, Second hour, Chad teaches third grade, as Jim mentioned. I'm a floating sub, so I wait for Tina to text me wherever she needs me. Um, We're also involved in an amazing life group, uh, Chris and Sharon Koloff, who um, lead our life group, and we have an amazing group of people that we're fortunate to be with. Um, Chad also gets up every Saturday morning to hang out with the men's group, which I think is great. I'm glad he can get up because I love staying in bed when he's <laughs> getting up. Um, we both coached upward in the past. Uh, more Chad coached in the last five years. I We both coached last year. Um, and last summer, Chad and I assisted Jim in teaching um, a marriage class in the summertime. And as I shared with the first hour, they assisted me. We had about 10-week class, and uh, because of my 
you know, some preaching and some being on the road and going to camp and all that stuff. I was there two weeks, I think, out of the ten. And so he assisted me by, they assisted me by teaching eight out of the ten weeks. <laughs> it's really a good deal. Um, so just the servant's heart. So, um, Tracy, can you share a little bit? I mean, you got a special situation in your family in dealing with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy with your, with your two boys and just how that impacts your family. Sure. So Duchenne muscular dystrophy affects one out of 3,500 boys. Um, everyone, we're all born with dystrophin that constantly is reproducing in our bodies, where Duchenne boys are born with dystrophin that doesn't keep reproducing. So what they're born with is all they get, and that results in a loss of strength. Uh, diagnosis is between four and six years old. Boys are bound to wheelchairs by the age 10 to 12, and then the disease is fatal in their 20s because, as everybody knows, the heart's a muscle, so it eventually affects uh, those internal organs. Our oldest son, Jacob, is 14. He is fortunate to be in a drug study at Duke University. He goes every 12 weeks to get more medication and be checked out, and it allows him to produce dystrophin a little bit in his body. We're not sure how much he's getting, um, but we know he can walk a few steps at this point, but is basically in a wheelchair. Our youngest son, Noah, is six, almost seven years old, and he is not showing the signs that Jacob did at that age, but he officially does have the diagnosis. And this is a genetic uh, chromosome disease, so both the boys are diagnosed exactly the same. All right. And um, so now... Knowing that you have this situation, your week's going to look a little different than than ours here. And I know you guys both work full time jobs. Tell us a little bit about what your average work week looks or your average week looks like. We have a busy schedule, like as most parents do. Um, we're up every morning between five and five thirty to get the boys ready for school. Uh, Jacob's bus comes at six forty five every morning. Uh, we're all like forced to be morning people, whether we want to or not. Um, Jacob or Noah and I head out around seven to go to daycare and for me to go to work. Chad leaves around six thirty for work. Um, on any given week, Jacob's got tutoring, psychological counseling, physical therapy. Noah has physical therapy. He's also involved in taekwondo. Uh, he's an upward soccer, and Jacob's actually going to be beginning uh, Miracle League baseball, which is for handicapped kids in wheelchairs, and he'll be starting that uh, next Saturday. We also attend um, our life group, of course, that we very much look forward to every, every other week. And we also attend a muscular dystrophy support group that um, we actually help lead because MDA only thinks we need a support group four times a year, whereas us parents feel like we need one once a month. So thanks to our church, I rent a room out and lead um, a support group for the Columbus folks. Uh, I am also had started a foundation with a friend of mine called the Little Hercules Foundation. Um, my friend also has a son with Duchenne, and we have another mom involved as well, so we're constantly trying to come up with events to raise money. Um, we actually have a walk coming up, walk slash run, July 19th at High Banks. Uh, and Chad is also involved in our homeowners association. He's on the board. And every night when we go put the kids to bed. It's not a typical, okay, let's go to bed. It's stretching Jacob, getting his flexibility of his muscles moving for the next day to get through the next day. All right. And Chad, it's a gimme that you guys are, you know, have some uh, 
challenge us here. You're busy, and but yet you guys serve here at the church, and you're you're active in your life group. So, two questions: How do you find time to serve and be in a life group, and why is a life group so important to you guys? So, you know, I think um, personally, I, I don't think we find time. That's just my personal opinion. As Tracy will attest, I'm always losing stuff anyhow. So. I don't really think we find the time uh, to to kind of participate. I think it's a, for me personally, I think it's kind of a, a priority level and what's important to you. I think um, it's in your your actions will kind of follow you what your priority levels are. And I think uh, finding the time to do um, what's important for us here at church is just a function of us saying that God's most important in our lives. And um, that's we want our actions to, to follow what our beliefs are. And, and um, t- uh, to that point, uh, for us, when we were thinking about our children, we want our children to also understand that what's most important in our lives and for them to see that uh, we think it's important we come to first hour. Um, we, we think it's important that we give back uh, by teaching others. And, and as it turns out, you know, I thought we were going to give back to the church. And I, I feel like in teaching third grade, and, and I think Tracy feels the same, by, by teaching uh, the children and becoming involved in the church, we feel like we get back far greater than we, we mm-hmm. give out. And I, it's just a real joy, um, uh, not only in the children's ministry, but other ministries that we serve in, um, the, the parent and the marriage ministry. And we think those are real strong um, needs in, in the church and we just feel that's a high priority for us, mm. and we we, we want to continue to to, um, to give to others. Uh, you know, just as uh, the banners in our church say, "Love God, love people, impact the world," and um, you know we can't do that unless we serve others mm. and we love on others. And I think it's um, those are just a, a, a really a function of the, the priority level. When Tracy and I were first starting. Uh, to come to DCC, I don't know, about 11 years ago, something like that. Uh, we got invited by friends who had attended here for a long time. They've since moved um, moved away. But uh, we, we got involved, and we thought, you know, we really should start our, our Sunday off right in God's Word. So let's come to first hour. Um, and then we we just go home. And then that kind of led into, um, you know, we need to, we keep hearing about these life groups. We better find a life group. So we found a life group, and we found a really good life group in the, in the Coloss. And I, um, I think probably between three or four of the members, there's probably I, I guess a hundred years of of attending this church and there's in that life group. So we got a really strong life group, and that led into we need to we kind of feel like we need to give back to the church, as I was alluding to earlier. And so we decided um, we'd get involved in the children's ministry. And we teach. And uh, if the teachers were teaching our children, we wanted to give back the same mm. uh, to give to others and kind of pay it forward, if you will. And uh, I just think that that's a very valuable aspect, not only to give, but to actually get back and learn more about God's word in, in those settings. And you mentioned life groups and and why is that? Uh, why do we attend? And I think what we really found out was that we were growing exponentially when we attended our life groups because of the relationships and the small settings of learning about God's word, um, other people's perspective and, um, 
just really learning about what God has uh, in store for us. If I read the Bible, I may have one understanding, but if I'm getting a perspective of somebody else in a real small setting, I learn so much more about God's Word. Mm -hmm. And without our life groups, I feel like, I don't want to say we're lost, but we're missing something. Mm -hmm. So every week uh, that we go to a life group is so much more meaningful for us. You've probably got a lot of encouragement, I would take, through all that you've been through from that group of people. Yeah, we really have. And I think that's, a, that's kind of a key point, it, talking about family. Um, I, I feel like our life group is our extended family. Um, and, and dare I say, we probably see them more often, uh, our church family, than we do our, our, our regular family. But tight-knit group, and of course, they, in times of need, they've been there for us. They've prayed for us and um, continue to do so. And that's, that's been meaningful for us to be able to pray for other members uh, and, and just that you just feel like that tight-knit family. It just mm-hmm. makes a world of difference. Yep. So um, as we talked about, you know, everybody has 168 hours in a week. And what words would, of encouragement would you give to someone who routinely says, I- I'm just too busy, I just can't find the time to serve, or I can't find the time to be in a life group? Y- you know, you guys live it, and you have some extra challenges there. What words of encouragement would you give to people? Well, uh, yeah, as, as you alluded to, Jim, I think we all have the same 168 hours in the week. And I think that um, when, you're, when you're too busy, you're basically also saying that your priority levels or your priority values, your value system is somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, a while ago we, we heard in one of our Sunday school classes Hey, we need to kind of slow down a little bit. We need to keep things as simple as possible. And I think um, if somebody says they're too busy, what, what they're really saying is their value is something else. Um, they're too busy for a life group. Well, uh, you know, what's the example you're setting for your children? Is God number one in your life? Mm-hmm. Is, he, is, he, is he not? And, um, and, and as it relates to children, our actions will speak a lot louder than our words. Mm-hmm and the example that we set. And so I would say to those that are too busy, that say they're too busy, um, really think about giving to others and really think about um, what your faith means to you and, and, and how you can grow that faith. Mm-hmm. I think you're either growing or you're falling back, mm-hmm. in my personal belief. And so I think um, I, I would just encourage you to pray. If somebody said they're too busy, just pray about it. Mm-hmm. Get more involved in the church. You'll get back more uh, than you ever put out yeah. and take that leap of faith and and that's what god wants us to be in his word okay and, and i think that's how you can do that okay um i i uh, you know as you guys talk you know one of the things that when we have this busyness thing going on is that um we have to just basically start with the things, make your commitments. Okay, I'm going to do both hours on Sunday. I'm going to get into a life group. I'm going to serve here or whatever it is. And we just build those into our week, and then we let everything else fall in. And, and oftentimes we put everything else in first, and then those things have no room to come in. And so we've got a lot of people in this congregation that are in life groups, they're active and serving. And, and if you're not, I would just encourage you through this week to just, you know, really lift up your schedules, your priorities, and just say, hey, Lord, will you really put it on my heart to maybe reorganize some things? Um, as we leave here this week, I would just encourage people to have 
two sets of prayers depending upon where. If you're a Christian, would you just pray these two prayers? Um, and I, Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you next week, um, this was not planned. We talked about priorities, decisions, that type of thing, uh, the mission of the church. But next Sunday, we're going to have one of our first ministry fairs in a long time. And what a ministry fair is, is first of all, good news is we have free food right after church. And then we're going to the worship center, and then you will be able to go around to all the different ministries in the church. Let's say you say, hey, I, I just, I am into sports, and I want that to be a ministry where I can reach out to people. Then you'll have the chance to talk to Alec Carpenter and Tom Norka about what's going on in our sports ministries. If you say, hey, you know, I feel like I'm being called to work in children's ministry, and Cindy needs a lot of volunteers all the time. It's one of our greatest needs is in children's ministry then you'll be able to talk to Cindy and other people that are involved in children's ministry, and, and they'll be able to tell you where you can fit in and all the different jobs. And you don't have to commit next Sunday. You can just get information and sign up to maybe be talked to later on about things that you might do. Maybe you've been in a life group for a long time, and it's really been on your heart to, you know what, I've been in a life group for a long time. I'm ready to start hosting a life group. I don't know that I'm ready to lead it yet, but I'm ready to host it. Or maybe you're like, I've been in one for so long, I really feel the Lord's calling me to host now, I mean to lead one. Then I'll be there next week with, along with other small group leaders, and we can tell you what all is involved in that. I mean, literally every ministry there will be represented. If you say, I am really handy with, a, with building and grounds type of stuff, the building and grounds guys will be there, and you know you can strap on a hard hat and all that stuff and whatever they're going to do for their next Sunday. But, but it's the greatest opportunity. So my prayer is that this week, that in the morning and the night, that if you're a Christian, you've been here, and you, and you feel like God's calling you to uh, step it up a bit, that you would just say, Lord, Morning and night, Lord, will you just, first of all, give me a passion for the mission of the church? Will you give me a passion for people who don't know your son like I do? Will you give me a passion for sharing the gospel of Jesus, just that their sins can be for they can get that wisdom to go from Sunday through Monday, Sunday through Saturday? And so that would be a prayer. And then at the same time, Lord, as I go through this week, will you just let me come before you and open my heart? And will you just speak to me of how I can get plugged in here at DCC and be a part of carrying the Great Commission to people? God has equipped you with a certain passion and a certain set of skills. And where those intersect is where you can get involved. The other group of people would be those that have not yet accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you'll have the opportunity right now to come forward and, and to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior if you believe who he is. And you can meet him in baptism and have your sins forgiven and walk out of here a free person. But maybe you're not ready this week. I wouldn't put up, but this week I would just ask that you pray, Lord, what is it that is why well, I'm fighting you so much? And I hope you and you and uh, God just go toe-to-toe and wrestle like crazy this week over that decision. And then maybe next Sunday will be your day. But at the same time, you can still get plugged in here. There are things that you can do here. We don't say, no, you can't serve until you become a Christian. We'll integrate you, and you can start serving and learn a little bit more about the people that are here every week because we are family. We are friends, and we are family, and we're bonded together to love on people and to carry the mission of the church out. So with that said, we're going to offer a hymn of invitation right now. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it.